everyone, and welcome to 180 Degrees of Impact. Uh, we have a very special edition. My name is Matt Scott, and I'm joined by two people. Normally, it's uh, just one of one guest joining, but uh, today I have first and foremost Emily McCown as my special guest co-host. Emily, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Matt. It's wonderful to be here. I'm really excited about the conversation. Yeah. And before we dive in, I would love to just give you a chance of explaining why you're here, how we got connected before we hand it off over uh, for our special guest to introduce himself. Absolutely. So I am a current graduate student at George Washington University. And this semester, I'm in a course called Women's Entrepreneurial Leadership which part of the course is that we have a mentorship experience and we do an interactive activity together. So I was connected to Matt because of our mutual interest in how the private sector can be a force for positive and um, solving some social challenges um, around the globe. So that's why I'm here and thrilled to be here. So thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks for, for being part of this. And I mean, I... I just want to give a shout out to your professor, Kathy Corman. Yes. Uh, but Kathy is um, a former boss of mine from about six years ago now. And um, it's it's really crazy how people stay in touch and how things work out. And now um, I'm mentoring Emily. And so I'm glad that we could have this experience and be joined by you. So uh, everyone who is listening and watching, please welcome Chris Livery. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing great today, uh, Matt. It's a, a real pleasure to, to join you and Emily here, and uh, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Um, so, um, you know, let's uh, let's dive in and talk about, uh, as Emily said, the nexus between you know private and uh, and impact, private business and impact, and also maybe a little bit about the, the public sector as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're going to dive in and hear from you about your perspectives on all of that and more, I'm sure. But first and foremost, Chris, I'd love if you could introduce yourself to the 180 Degrees of Impact audience. Yeah. So let's see. Uh, Until recently, I was the head of uh, global impact and giving at eBay. I'm actually in a a career transition right now. Uh, I was at eBay for uh, a little over two years. And prior to that, um, I spent about five years at HP. Uh, and HPE in a similar role, uh, leading CSR or sustainability or citizenship or the many different words that that are used to describe the space. Um, And then uh, prior to that, I was at a company called SC Johnson, uh, which uh, is a privately owned packaged goods manufacturer here in the U.S. and and globally, um, and leading sustainability in, in, in my sort of ending roles at Johnson. Uh, so I've been in I've been in sustainability for roughly ten years. Uh, prior to that, because um, you can probably tell by my my gray hair that my career is a lot longer than ten years. Um, I was I was a marketer and a general manager uh, for a number of packaged goods companies, including Johnson and um, and Unilever. So you know some really great companies, all of which have uh, to some degree or another a dedication to doing what's right, um, you know, in not only their sustainability, their footprint, but also in their social impact. And, uh, and I was fortunate enough to lead 
uh, a number of really cool programs uh, at each of those three companies, Johnson, HP, and, and eBay. So, um, you know, I've, I've had the, the chance to be at that kind of coal face, for want of a better word, you know, kind of where you actually put uh, words into action. Chris, I'm dying to hear about kind of the start of your professional career and what kind of drew you to the corporate social responsibility space and the social impact um, space. Well, I've been I've been really lucky. So you know, I, I worked at Johnson for um, roughly 15 years and uh, had a number of different roles there. Uh, toward the, the sort of latter part of my marketing and general management career, I was involved in a couple of um, acquisitions that the company made. And, and Johnson, if you don't know them, they're the makers of things like Ziploc bags and, and Windex and, and actually Raid, which is uh, probably a product most people would say would be antithetical to sustainability, but we, we can talk about that. But, you know, the the dedication of the company and, and its, and its uh, CEO, Fisk Johnson, um, who is related to the founder, um, you know, uh, was, was really fundamental. And so, you know, in those acquisitions, there were some sustainability issues. And uh, at, at one point, uh, Fisk asked me directly, you know, would you like to lead sustainability? Because at that time, he was doing a lot of really, I think, cool work, um, you know, to, to change the company's footprint, to change the way the company was, was operating. And, and they've made tremendous strides in that area in terms of their chemicals and their, um, you know, carbon footprint as a, as a manufacturer. The idea was, how can we embed this better with marketing? How can we build this into some of the brands, including, including Raid, and, you know, make this something that, you know, actually is, is brought to life in the marketing of our products, not just in our corporate marketing. So, you know, somebody with a bit of marketing background yeah. made a ton of sense for a role like that. So I was really fortunate to kind of get plunked uh, out of the out of the um, the marketing pool and asked to do something like that. And I had honestly, you know, relatively little idea of what I was getting myself into. I mean, I, had, I knew about sustainability, of course. I'd worked, you know, in that regard on these acquisitions. But what it did was it really captured in me, um, you know, a, a desire. Uh, for purpose in my work, a desire for impact. And, you know, and thank you to Johnson for asking me to do this. And then I obviously HP and eBay for, you know, continuing that journey for me and enabling me to, to kind of lead teams and, and, and create impact. It's been, it's just been a, a tremendous, a tremendous journey. And so in that new space, you know, being invited to basically be in this new field of the company it's a new position for you, kind of a different type of position. How did you start in that role? I mean, what were some of the action steps you took to really structure this new um, vision for sustainability at Johnson? Well, one of the key things I knew I needed to do was to, to learn the, the ins and outs, the, the really functional bits of, of being a CSR leader and to lead in sustainability, especially for a, a manufacturing company. You know, Johnson and any other packaged goods manufacturer, you know, is they're making things, right? So they've got a factory. They've got maybe many factories. Those factories have a footprint. Um, you know, those, their products have a footprint as well. And so, you know, understanding those, those impacts and being able to put them in a um, – a relatively structured approach of how to 
how to you know reduce those impacts and do that in a way that was you know not just for the sake of uh, you know improved uh, carbon footprints, but also consonant with the business, mm-hmm. right? So you know I I have to say again you know kudos to Johnson they gave me the space to learn those things to go to conferences and training right. sessions uh, mm-hmm. to do the reading that was necessary and my team actually had a pretty small team there. What we did was um, you know we we were uh, successful in, in convincing, you know, the, the corporate leadership that it was important that we do our complete carbon footprint. So actually, you know, working with WRI, uh, the World Resources Institute, you know, we and CDP, which was then called the Carbon Disclosure Project, it's now okay. just CDP, we actually published uh, SEJ's first uh, complete carbon footprint. And so, you know, that, that enabled us, that that tool is really important in being able to diagnose, especially for a manufacturing company, mm-hmm. where your impacts are in the supply chain, yeah. you know, uh, and then in also in the consumer use uh, of the products. You know, generally speaking, for manufacturing companies, the, the actual um, impact of its, its factories and operations is relatively small compared to those other, you know, fuller we call it scope three impacts, right? So, you know, it all gets very technical, but what the, the important thing about it is, is, is really using that diagnostic to say, okay, here's where we need to make a difference. We need to reduce our, you know, our dependence on air shipment, for instance, which we did at HP, where I also did the first complete carbon footprint of the company. My team did that. And so, um, you know, uh, or in the use of our products, uh, the electricity that's used by them, or the uh, the paper that's used by our printers at HP. You know, all of those kinds of things uh, become levers that you can you can use to reduce your your, your environmental footprint, which is really important uh, for any business. Uh, and by the way, it saves money. So right. it's yeah. that's that nexus between you know what's good for the environment and what's good for the business. Yeah. I'm actually wondering about that because, you know, if you look back to when you, you mentioned first really going from uh, those more marketing roles to focusing on sustainability and impact, I mean, we know now that sustainability is, I would say, much more of a mainstream conversation. So mm-hmm. it seems that people are more aware now, but I'm assuming at that time you still had to get people on board and convince them that, uh, this was the way to go. Um, and you have mentioned that there are, you know, actual tangible benefits to the bottom line. So that helps, but I'm wondering what challenges did you, did you run into or what, what strategies did you use to actually, um, get people on board with something that, uh, was, even just 10 years ago, a lot more, you know, new to the business world than it is now? Yeah, no, that's a great question, Matt. And, and, and it was, I would say it was different at each company. So uh, this may be a bit of a rambling answer, but let's see if I can, if I can keep it, you know, reasonably uh, focused. Um, so, you know, when roughly 10 years ago, when I was at Johnson, it, we were, the WRI was just starting with what they call the scope three protocol, which sounds like a medical procedure, by the way. Um, and so, so the, the impetus, the impetus at, at Johnson really, I mean, I have to say and shout out to, um, to Walmart, 
because uh, Walmart was actually pushing its suppliers, which Johnson obviously was one of, to, to, to disclose this information to CDP. So that was, that was the impetus there, because, I mean, after all, Johnson's a private company, and, and disclosing things about its inner workings is, is a little bit, you know, um, unusual for them to do, right? It's, it's their, they, they use their private company um, status as a way to, to, to manage themselves for the long term, which is a wonderful way to manage, right? So, so that was the impetus there. The, the impetus at, at HP was, you know, um, our competitors were doing it. Uh, leading companies were doing it. Uh, you know, one of the things about disclosure and transparency when you talk about environmental sustainability, which is now, you know, part of ESG, yet another acronym, you know, environment, social, and governance. You know, this is something that investors increasingly are looking at. You know, so, you know, BlackRock have come out recently in, in the last couple of years and saying ESG is the way the companies will be evaluated going forward. So, in any event, at, at HP, it was at the, the beginning of that arc, and um, and so it was it was clear that competitively, that from a, an investor relations point of view, we needed to be more transparent. The, the big challenge, though, back to your question, was, you know, any any footprint, any work of this nature, <clears throat> is is by its nature, you know imprecise. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an estimate. I mean, one can never say, you know, uh, HP's footprint is exactly 60 million tons of carbon um, or whatever it was at that time. Um, however, if you measure it in a consistent way and you're transparent about the way you're measuring it and the assumptions that you make in your measurement, then you're on, on pretty solid footing because your measurement can be consistent from time to time. And that's what matters. And that diagnostic that you're creating can also be reasonably accurate and you can use that to make decisions. Mm -hmm. So that was the, the internal debate that had to happen. And, you know, I remember uh, one of my most trusted colleagues, uh, tremendously intelligent engineer who, you know, we used to work with on stuff like this. You know, she said to me, how can you be sure that this is accurate? And I gave her those answers. We worked together. I showed her, you know, my team and I showed her how we created the, 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 the estimates and, and that kind of brought her around and, and she ultimately became one of the bigger supporters of yeah. the work that we'd done. Um, plus just one last thing, we published, uh, HP's carbon accounting manual. Um, I don't know if it's still available online, but the idea was, Hey, you know, right. this is what we've assumed. This is how we've done it. You know, you guys tell us if you don't think it's the right way to do it, but, you know, until we hear from somebody, this is the way we're going to go about it. And that, that really did a lot to, to, to win people over and, and understand that we were doing this in a, in a transparent and a, and a consistent way. Yeah, I guess I'm really wondering, you know, looking at your experience uh, it really seems like you had to rely on a lot of transferable skills because you're you're entering new ground. Even if you just look at your shift from marketing to focusing more on uh, the sustainability impact side of things, so I, I'm wondering what were some of those, or what do you think were some of those key skills that that you were able to use from, I'll say that past career that you were able to apply to, um, the space that you've, you've sort of been in for, you know, for the last while. 
Yeah, that's a really great way of looking at it. You know, um, I would say, you know, you know, in marketing, uh, one is trained definitely to, to be thinking about, you know, how will the consumer view this? What does the consumer want? Um, and so you're, you're constantly thinking of, you know, how, how can this be communicated or, or, or put forward in a way that people will understand and take on board? and support. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think that element of marketing is highly relevant in CSR. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another aspect of marketing that, that definitely came, you know, to the fore is, you know, strategy, you know, thinking, thinking long-term, how am I going to kind of create the ingredients I need to ultimately, you know, lead to a product, a strategy for CSR, um, a way of communicating CSR that, um, is going to be, you know, successful and position a company and its reputation, you know, ideally. Um, the third thing, I guess, is, you know, when you, when you work in marketing, generally in marketing, you have bigger teams and you have more resources than you do in CSR, but you still are dependent on other departments of the company. Um, and I think that interdependency uh, really got bred in me uh, at, at companies like Unilever and SCJ. The the need to work with R and D or with uh, you know with manufacturing or sourcing or you know purchasing and and be able to work with them on their terms um, and understand things from their perspectives. What are their objectives? Yeah. How can how can what I'm doing be a win win for them and me mm-hmm. and my team? And so. I, that is incredibly important in CSR because, you know, generally, you know, you're relatively in a small team. You're, you're not in a line position of any kind, really, where you can actually dictate to other people what to do. You know, you're really leading through influence. And, and, and the only way to lead through influence is, is to be, you know, a team member and to be, um, you know, respectful and consultative to those other groups and try and put yourself in their shoes. Mm-hmm. And, and that was definitely a transferable skill uh, from my time as a marketer. So, yeah. It sounds like you really got to do like a baseline assessment at these companies and structure their CSR from the time that you kind of put those structures in place to when you left. What, what's maybe one of the impacts that you're most proud of? I would say a couple of things. I mean, I created strategies at Johnson and at HP that, and at eBay that continue to the present, right? So HP still calls, or HPE still calls their work living progress, which is a strategy that I created. It was kind of a convergence of the triple bottom line and and, and the things that the company did, the the how, the what, and the the why of of what the company did. And so, you know, those kinds of strategies, seeing them live beyond, um, you know, my tenure at any of those companies really is, is incredibly gratifying. Um, and the second thing is, you know, I would say that the footprinting work that we've talked about so far mm-hmm. is, is fundamental. It's really, you know, that you've all heard, of course, the, the famous adage, you can't manage what you don't measure. <laughs> you know, really, really an important thing that, that that's, you know, I think fundamental to footprinting, but it's also become table stakes in a way, right? It's become something that all companies now are doing to some degree or another. So yes, we made great strides. We've measured, we diagnosed, we, we went after the things that needed to be reduced in order to improve the company's footprint mm-hmm. um, and save money as well. 
But I think the thing that I'm proudest of is that we went beyond that. You know, we, we activated programs that really had social impact as well, that were aligned with those strategies. Um, so that, you know, each company actually, you know, did something that I think is, you know, pretty fundamental in terms of being able to kind of actually impact people's lives um, and, and really make a difference in the world by activating on their purpose. Um, and so that, that, I think that's probably the thing that I'm proudest of. And, and having seen those impacts actually up close, you know, so, I mean, maybe we can, we can talk about a few of those. So, yeah, I would love to hear maybe an example or two. Yeah. So I mentioned, I mentioned raid. I mean, I'll start there. I'll, I'll go chronologically. Um, you know, when, when, when I was at Johnson, we, we realized that, you know, one of the, one of the drawbacks of, um, you know, uh, a pesticide, uh, company or brand like Raid is, you know, that people find those, those types of ingredients, um, you know, uh, a little bit scary, to be honest, you know, a little bit concerning. So uh, we knew that uh, there was a, a natural pesticide, a natural pyrethrum pesticide that is, that can be derived from chrysanthemums. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm originally from New York city, so I have no farming background, <laughs> zero. Um, but in any event, um, this, this kind of like, uh, pyrethrum farming was, was very common in Kenya, but due to some political things that were going on at the time, we wanted to actually set up, you know, uh, an ability to source the product from, from Rwanda. So we partnered with Texas A&M and they know about farming. <laughs> um, and we partnered with um, USAID, and we partnered with the uh, Rwandan government, believe it or not, and we set up a, a farming cooperative in northern Rwanda to grow chrysanthemum flowers uh, as a cash crop. Um, and so it was the coolest project. I mean, I actually got to go to Rwanda. I got to meet the, the, the teams there and, and go to the refinery where, where the, the, the flowers were turned into pyrethrum. And, uh, and you know, ultimately, um, it became a program that after I left Johnson, raised uh, or you know, helped to uh, inject uh, close to $5 million into the economy there. Um, which is unbelievable and, uh, you know, resurrected this, this kind of lost industry and this additional cash crop for the farmers mm -hmm. in this part of the, the, the world. So it was, it was incredibly gratifying program. And so, you know, that was, I think it's that creativity that looking at where, where's the nexus between what this company is doing and, you know, how it can actually have a, a positive impact, not only for itself, because Johnson launched, a natural version of raid, yeah. which, you know, was, was, that was an important out, outcome from this for Johnson, but it was also, you know, such an amazing impact for the people and, and the community in Northern Rwanda. Um, you know, at, at, at HP, the, the challenge there was, you know, we had some really cool programs already uh, in place that, you know, had been uh, managed to drive HP's presence in healthcare. Uh, we were doing e-health centers in India, so these kind of prefab containers that could be dropped into a community in India and help people connect with hospitals, right? So the HP technology was part of that. So, so that was great. You know, we were doing things that were important in terms of, you know, helping 
in, in, in communicating medical issues in, in Eastern Africa, like um, getting diagnosis of HIV uh, to doctors more quickly. But what we didn't have was an environmental program. And so uh, my team and I sat down with Conservation International, and we learned that they had 16 rainforests around the world where they were collecting tons of data, photographs, climate data, vegetation measurements, all sorts of things that um, they couldn't really manage. They had too much information. And so, you know, sounds like a, a great job for HP. So we put together an internal program and we created a dashboard for them. We called it HP Earth Insights. And so this program, um, you know, uh, enabled them to manage uh, the, the things that were impacting uh, at-risk species in these rainforests. So ultimately, we wound up making it into an ad campaign that, that was about how HP talks to the animals, right? I mean, it's kind of, but, but what was important about it was, you know, not only were we positively impacting these 16 global rainforests, we we're helping CI do their work, but it turned into a sales case for HP because it showed the power of big data to process complex issues, including, you know, the information needed to, to manage at-risk species. So uh, it was a really wonderful and gratifying program in, in its own right and, um, and, you know, ultimately became, as I say, something that helped differentiate the company. So that's, that's, that's that sweet spot. It's kind of mm -hmm. like, you know, you know, you're doing something good, but you're also doing something good for your, your, your company out of that. I mean, it's, right. it's a really, it's a tough space to navigate, but when you get it right, it's, it's just amazing. Um, and then, you know, most recently at, at eBay, you know, they currently have a program that I, I launched called uh, Retail Revival. Uh, so, you know, guys probably know that eBay is, you know, has for since its founding been a place for people to start a business and, and, you know, it creates economic opportunity all the time. And, you know, many, many thousands of people have done that and created very, you know, sizable businesses. But what we did was we flipped the script on its head a little bit and we went to places where, you know, maybe the economy is, is tough, you know, they're trying to turn themselves around. And we actually recruited, you know, roughly 60 to 80 businesses in a city and provided them with a year's worth of training and support so that they could learn how to sell on eBay. And uh, the first of those cities was Akron, Ohio, um, a little over a year ago. And it's now been extended to, to four more cities in three countries in total, the U.S., the U.K., and Canada. So, I mean, again, not, not, a, not as much of a business building program maybe as, as, as you might think, but much more of a kind of here's our purpose writ large, our purpose in real life, actually our purpose IRL, we started calling it, you know, because it was, it was just a great way to show, you know, what we, what we could accomplish as a company. So that's a very long answer to a really good question. Yeah. Uh, so it's maybe a, a lot to unpack there. Yeah, definitely a great answer. And there is a lot to unpack, but I think one of the big takeaways that I have from what you were saying is that, you know, if, you look at your average person. I don't know why I'm thinking about social media in this case, but let's say you look at your average person on social media and we have this constant feedback loop 
uh, where, you know, a business makes a decision, like eBay makes a decision. And you'll hear from people about, you know, how they feel about that for better or for worse and giving their thoughts on things that that business should do to um, improve its operations or to do something that fits what their vision is. Mm-hmm. And what you're, what you're stating is a reminder for me and hopefully for anyone who's watching or listening that for everything that, you know, SC Johnson or HPE or eBay, everything that they're doing needs to definitely be tied back to creating value for the organization and justifying it somehow. And I'm not sure that that's something that people, I know that that's not something that people always think about, but that's something I'm definitely getting from just hearing you talk about um, why these things are are happening when it comes to impact and sustainability, whether that's here in the U.S. or Rwanda or India or other parts of East Africa, for instance. Um, and I guess my my other thought right now is more about you and what draws you to this this work, um, because there are, you know, I think between the three of us, we're probably all really similar and, you know, embracing impact for different reasons. But I'm curious from you where those seeds, I'll call them seeds of impact uh, for your little impact flower or plant or tree, whatever you want to call it. Um, Where did those seeds of impact begin? If you could, you know, if you, if you have any idea of that. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I would say, Matt, that, uh, you know, there's a couple of things. I mean, to me, for me, I mean, speaking personally, it's all about people, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's about the people in the company uh, and, you know, the impact that these types of programs have on them and the way it, it rallies, you know, um, employee engagement. I mean, I, I can't tell you in each of those cases that I described, you know, how it really captured people's imagination and people in each of those three companies, Johnson, HP, and and eBay, who were not involved in any of those programs wanted to get involved. Or if they were involved, they went beyond, right? So just a a short example, you know, would be from HP, you know, when we started the, the Earth Insights program, you know, we actually contracted with our data analytics team. I don't remember what they were called at the time. I'm sure it was, I'm sure it was an acronym of some kind, but in any event, we, we, we kind of contracted with them internally and, you know, we said, okay, we'll buy X number of hours of your time. We'll, we'll pay for that. The engineers will be, you know, dedicated to this program because we didn't know how to do it. So we didn't have the technical expertise, but what we found was we were getting many, many, many more hours than we contracted for because the engineers loved the project, wow. you know, and, and people like heard about this and they wanted to join. And so, and the same thing, you know, at eBay, it's been just a really almost viral thing. So, you know, we did, we did Akron and, you know, within the year of, of Akron running, you know, we got other companies, the UK company and the Canadian company wanting to do their own programs. We have, they have, I should say, so it's hard to stop saying we, they had, you know, people in, um, you know, uh, other countries who were doing sort of versions. Uh, we called them cousins of retail revival because they were similar, but not exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, so there's, a, for me, you know, that, that, that kind of employee engagement, that kind of almost viral spreading of the, the idea is when, you know, when you get it right, that's, that's one of the things that happens. The, the other thing, 
again, back to people, is <clears throat> the connections with the people who are actually being impacted. And so, you know, I can't begin to say how, how much, I mean, I, I, personally, I'd never been to Akron before, <laughs> you know, retail revival, um, but I've been there a number of times. Uh, I think it's about eight uh, in about 18 months and made tremendous friends there and people who are, you know, connected with me on social media, <clears throat> whether that's, you know, Instagram or Facebook, <clears throat> excuse me, I followed the the sellers, you know, uh, very closely and, and, you know, learned about their businesses, learned to support them too. And so, you know, that, that personal connection is, is so meaningful. And, uh, again, you know, that, that can only happen, I guess my advice for people who are listening, that can only happen when you really, you find that connection that really almost like a bullseye type connection between the company's purpose and the program the way you activate it. And, you know, and I think you mentioned something that, you know, companies can do all sorts of things, right? I mean, you know, companies have tremendous resources. Um, you know, there's a lot of um, ways that companies can, can help their communities um, and their customers uh, and their supply chain partners and all that kind of stuff. And those are all important, but, you know, you do have to be focused, I think I think the the lesson here for me is that when you're when you're focused and you get that that laser like kind of program that really hits the bullseye, mm-hmm. you know you really get all sorts of benefits that you honestly didn't anticipate when you started, and and that's what makes me kind of excited because it's like wow you know we really we got we got the right thing here and it's and it's really making a difference. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, yeah. I'm curious, you know, you've worked for some really well-established companies, but what advice might you give to like a small to medium enterprise that is interested in having more of an environmental or social impact, but Mm -hmm. also doesn't have the resources of like a Johnson or an Mm -hmm. HP? What are like maybe some little things they could do or what, what advice would you give to those types of businesses? Mm-hmm. I think that's a really great question, Emily. The, the, I think they're the, the principles are very um, similar. Uh, obviously the intensity and the, the, um, the depth that you, you can go. I mean, I, I wouldn't expect most companies, uh, frankly, to be able to do a complete carbon footprint the way HP did when, when we were there. Um, you know, it was a pretty intensive effort and it needed to be done in a, you know, really, I say academically robust way. Right. But that doesn't mean that the, the principles of footprinting, uh, are not useful for, for any company, you know, understanding where your impacts are, you know, and trying to reduce those impacts, um, in a strategic way, right? I mean, you know, wh- where are the things that I can actually manage and reduce and, and save some money, but also, you know, reduce my environmental impact as well. So that, that's one, I think, thing that's a principle that all companies can apply with, with relatively little resource. Um, you know, another thing that is universal in CSRs is, is uh, I, some of the words we use sometimes really confound me. We, we call it materiality, right? So, you know, you, you think about what are your impacts, what are people expecting of you, and it's kind of, it, it looks a lot more um, precise than it really is, but it's like finding that 
that set of two or three things that we really could have an impact on. Mm -hmm. And again, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be, you know, uh, a program that involves, you know, investment, like clearly, you know, the ones that I've described, there was an investment by each of those companies, but it's about saying, okay, what's the thing that we can really impact as a company? What's the one thing that we could really go after and, um, and create a positive impact. So footprints about reducing, reducing impacts and being responsible and materiality to me ought to be about where do we where do we take action and you know where's our where's our north star i don't know for want of a better term that we're going to really focus on and, and and try to intervene in the world a little bit um and for a small company that could be as simple as you know something local i mean you know some of the best things are are local you know maybe there's an issue with homelessness where your company is maybe there's something your your company could do about that or you know and you could activate employees to get involved in that um you know and and it becomes something that people can rally around and you know it becomes something that really differentiates you i mean to me the key is whatever you're doing it ought to either help your bottom line so save money or grow sales or help your um you know retention your employee engagement and retention those are the the three things that i think um sustainability when it's properly managed can do really for any company yeah it's really interesting to dive into this conversation like especially just considering the the dynamic here because we're able to really ask you questions and dive in chris and learn from from your experience which is something that uh i mean i think that emily and i would probably agree and you probably possibly agree too, Chris, that, you know, more of this dialogue, um, especially, you know, between people who are really getting started in terms of all the work that they're doing and someone who's more established would be, you know, really great to see. Uh, but something Emily and I were talking about before was just this idea of mentorship. Um, and so, you know, I know that we're really curious from you, what, you know, what role has mentorship played for you? Were there any key mentors that supported you along your journey? And then also, you know, in what roles are you serving as a mentor, whether that's for individuals, for organizations on different councils and so on and so forth. I'd just love to hear from you about the the power of, yeah. of that, because I know a lot of folks I've talked with have, have really stressed the power of mentorship and, and conversation in general. Yeah, no, it, I, I have to say, I mean, I've, I've been really fortunate. Um, I, I don't know if I've ever had what I could call a formal mentor, so to speak, but definitely people have mentored me with a small M along the way, uh, you know, uh, from the very beginning. I mean, obviously, you know, Fisk Johnson and giving me that opportunity to enter CSR in the first place and, and to learn from his uh, deep knowledge in that space. But, you know, um, my boss at the time, uh, was the head of public affairs and, uh, and she was a terrific woman who had tremendous experience in the company, but also had kind of done a similar journey, uh, in her own career. And she gave me the space also to learn what I needed to learn. So, you know, I, I benefited from her expertise, but also from her, um, her, you know, just uh, trust that, you know, hey, you can go and do that and you can learn that. And, and you know, the encouragement that that, that gave me. Um, 
you know, I mentioned before, you know, my, my engineering colleague at, at HP, uh, and she was also uh, a mentor to me because she, she helped challenge me. I think sometimes, you know, what you, you need is somebody to kind of, um, especially as a marketer, you know, I, I, I um, what's the, 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 um, the stereotype of marketers, right? We can talk our way out of anything, right? Because, you know, we kind of, we have that, that ability to kind of, um, pardon the French bullshit a little bit. Right. So, <laughs> so, you know, it's, it, but she called me on my bullshit. Right. So she was like, Hey, I don't, I don't believe this footprint stuff. How are you doing it? Make me believe it. Yeah. And, and that was, that was really, really valuable because it raised my game tremendously. You know, it made us stronger. You know, we wouldn't have gotten to that accounting manual if it hadn't been for that challenge. And, you know, it actually helped the business too, because you know, people like, were like, wow, this is, you know, pretty class leading stuff that you guys are actually publishing how you, how you did the footprint, Never mind that you have one. So, you know, those kinds of experiences along the way, you know, um, and then, you know, most recently uh, at, at eBay, um, I worked very closely with government relations on, mm -hmm. on, uh, on retail revival. A uh, big part of what we were doing was, you know, actually going and visiting cities and meeting with the mayor. Um, pretty exciting stuff. I'd never met a mayor before, but you know, my government relations colleague and me, um, and she was terrific at helping me navigate something I'd never done before, you mm -hmm. know, working with government officials and doing that in a way that was, you know, positive, not only for, for them, but for, for, for eBay. So I think, I think you find, you should find men mentorship in, in colleagues in, in the places where, you know, you're being, you know, kind of challenged or moved into something you haven't had a chance to do before. It's, it's kind of, you know, it's fine to fake it till you make it, which is, you know, a, a famous Silicon Valley expression, but, you know, you do need somebody to kind of be there to call you on your, on your BS. I won't say it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it, it's much appreciated though, because I think, yeah. yeah, you have to have people who hold you accountable, not just yes people mm -hmm. around you, mm -hmm. tell you how great you are. Um, and I think, you know, at least just speaking from my experience, uh, from maybe even the other end of it, like receiving that feedback it is a skill to be able to integrate that. And I won't even say have a tough skin, but really be able to take that feedback and then uh, mm -hmm. integrate it and look at yourself honestly, rather than uh, taking everything, you know, per personally or, you know, taking it as an offense, like you're not good enough or, you know, whatever that might be. Well, actually, you know, I mean, I know it's now we're going to get really philosophical, but I'm, I'm, I'm a father. I have three kids. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, um, you know, you know, you know that sometimes when people give you constructive feedback, it's for your own good. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that when I've, when I've given that kind of feedback to my kids. And, and so I think that's, that's part of it too. And, and, and it's, it's important to see it in that regard. And, you know, we all, we all benefit. And I think in each of those cases, we, we got to a better place because people, were willing to say, Hey, wait a second. What about this? What about that? And, you know, have you thought of this? And, you know, are you really on the most solid ground here? And so that, that to me is the value of mentorship is to, is to really, you know, challenge your thinking and get you to a better place. And, and, and I think we, and in order to be successful in any field, never mind CSR, I think we all need to be open to that. I feel like, 
maybe, maybe they always say this, but now more than ever, we have like huge global challenges that we're faced with. Are there any companies that you see are just kind of going above and beyond to solve some of these complex challenges? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think there are a number, uh, you know, um, and I think they're all doing it in ways that are, um, appropriate to their, their businesses. Right. So it's, it's kind of a, I see it as a kind of kaleidoscope of, of, of action or impact. Right. I mean, so, I mean, the obvious one always that people you know would mention would be, you know, Unilever. You know, I think Unilever is, uh, has been a, a leader now for many, many years. And, you know, personally, I looked to them in my different roles, uh, even at HP. I mean, HP is a technology company. Unilever is a packaged goods company. But I still thought, you know, a lot of the things that they did um, were, were class leading and, um, and, and really, you know, breaking through, you know, setting audacious goals, getting their business engaged, you know, being, speaking of one mind uh, as a company. Um, now, obviously, you know, with Paul Pullman's retirement, you know, that, you know, we'll see if he created enough of a foundation and enough momentum that that, that will continue. Um, you know, uh, another great company is, is Microsoft. I just had the, the, um, a wonderful opportunity to spend some time uh, at the Microsoft campus uh, and uh, and to learn about some of the things they're doing. Uh, they've been doing some amazing things on the footprint, right? So they actually have an internal carbon tax within the company uh, mm-hmm. where they actually you know trade off internally and raise money for their activities mm-hmm. by the carbon impacts of their their different divisions. And so um, you know, that's that's something they've been doing for a number of years. But now they're using their technology also to create positive social impact. So they're using AI, artificial intelligence, to help people with disabilities. Um, I, I saw a demonstration of a, a product that's just unbelievable. It can read handwriting, and you know, if you're visually impaired, um, you know you can use this device uh, on your phone. Actually, it's an app on your phone device. And you can read stuff, and it'll read it to you, and um, you, know, you know, labels and stuff like that. So, so you know, that, that to me is a wonderful example yeah. of a company finding, you know, that nexus that we mm-hmm. talked about between, you know, their purpose and also their their business, and, and bring that to life. So, you know, those are those are two that that really stand out for me. Cisco is great. They do, they've been working in the education space for years. Uh, I love the work that they do. They're getting more active in homelessness here in Silicon Valley, um, which is a cause that's near and dear to their CEO, Chuck Robbins. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think the key thing, Emily is, you know, if you, if you want to be, if you want a career in sustainability, um, I'd say there's, there's kind of two ways to look at it. First of all, I mean, you know, the number of sustainability or CSR jobs, I keep changing terms there because I'm, I'm not quite sure uh, everybody uses them interchangeably, but you know, the number of jobs in that space are, are relatively limited. Uh, you know, the t- as I said a few times t- today, the teams are small, um, you know, and so, you know, it's, uh, it's hard to get a job that's directly always in sustainability. However, what I would really urge people to do is do your research and go to a company that, you know, not only, says they believe in it, but walks the talk. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, that's, you can have an impact in sustainability by doing AI at, at Microsoft or by being the person who is in charge of purchasing at Unilever for, you know, some raw materials that, that need to be sustainably sourced. Or you don't have to be in CSR. You can do that in the business. And I think that's, that's really uh, an important thing that, that people need to take on board. Yeah. And I think one thing to that I just want to thank you for in listening to your answer, well, a couple of things actually in particular. I'm sure there's a lot that Emily and I could could thank you for even when it comes to just <laughs> this conversation so far. But you know, two things. One is that you've even put helped put a spotlight on the fact that there are so many organizations, and you just named a few of the the leading ones, you gave your own experiences and, you know, that's a handful of organizations, but there are so many other uh, companies in the private sector doing this work. And as you mentioned, even in the public sector. And so it's good uh, for me, I think that we're able to share that, you know, you don't need to go work for a nonprofit to make an impact and you don't need to necessarily go work in the sustainability division of a company in order to make that impact. Uh, and then the other piece is, you know, again, and I mentioned this earlier, but I really appreciate, we really appreciate you sharing your perspective and, and um, having this conversation because I think a lot of times, especially when it comes to uh, business, we get closed off in silos. And, and that's one reason I want to talk with you because I know, you know, throughout, I'm sure plenty of your work, I, I'm very familiar and have worked and do work with uh, Launch, which, you know, has worked with eBay and Walmart and others that have been mentioned in this conversation. And I think that collaborative spirit's like really what we need to drive things forward. But, mm-hmm. you know, again, uh, thinking of just the time, cause I'm sure we could be here for a long, long time having this conversation with plenty of questions. I, wanna, I talk a lot. <laughs> since, since we all, and actually that's, I, I mean, I love it. <laughs> so uh, a lot of knowledge to share. Yes. Lots of knowledge to share. So keep talking and keep sharing. And, um, I, I guess the, the big question I have is really around where you see your future going ahead. Um, and it's a question that I ask at the end of each one of my, or toward the end of each one of my interviews. But, um, if your life were a book or documentary, what do you think the title would be and why? Wow. Um, so let's see. I, you know, um, I, t- I tend to think in songs, so it, it's okay. Can I go with a song? Sure. Uh, I like that. The yeah, song whatever. that popped into my head is, is a, the long and winding road, um, by the Beatles. Cause it's kind of, you know, it's like, you gotta be open to wherever the road goes. And, uh, I think that's, that's been a, um, definitely a hallmark of my career is kind of, you know, uh, who knows what would have happened if, you know, Fisk hadn't asked me, you know, would you like to work in sustainability? Um, you know, that, that was, that was, uh, that was a really an important, whatever, um, fork in the road. And yeah. I'm glad I, I, I went uh, on that path. So I almost said a, an old Yogi Berraism, which is, you know, when you come to the fork in the road, take it, but that's, that's terrible. Um, <laughs> in any event, um, yeah. So yeah, that would be, that would be what comes to mind. Uh, so 
you know, I think where I think my career will go is that I have, uh, you know, pretty uh, unique perspective. You know, it feels like, uh, you know, the combination of, of marketing and communications that I've, I've been uh, certainly trained in and, and, and had, you know, the, the chance to demonstrate uh, earlier in my career and, and even more recently combined with CSR, combined with some of the programs that, that my teams and I have been able to create. You know, those are things that I, I'd love to impart that wisdom to the next generation. Uh, and I don't know exactly how to do that. I mean, it could be leading CSR at another, another great company, but it could be, you know, in a consulting role where it's a, an opportunity to impart that perspective and wisdom uh, to wisdom. That sounds grand. That, that perspective to, you know, more, uh, more companies, uh, because I, I think, I think when it's done right, it can really be uh, a business benefit and it can also obviously help people. And, uh, and that, that advocacy, you know, really excites me, that ability to kind of inspire others, hopefully to do it. Um, and to get this to be, you know, many, many more companies than the ones we've talked about today. Yeah. I actually have a follow-up question to that, which is really about, uh, you mentioned inspiring the next generation, um, and you've talked about how that's important to you, but just from the perspective of the businesses you've worked with or seen or interacted with, what, in your words, is the value of the next generation, you know, I'll say people like us, maybe, um, to put Emily and I on the spot. What What is the value of the next generation? Are companies looking at younger people and saying, this is our vision for them. This is what we want to accomplish. And, you know, I, I would just love to hear from you because you do have that unique perspective. Yeah, no, I think I think the, 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 the value of the next generation is, is you guys have, you know, tremendous energy. Um, and a desire to put things right. I think there's, uh, it's clear that, you know, millennials and Gen Z, you know, really appreciate the fact that, you know, I hate to be, I don't want to end on a downer, but time is running out, right, yeah. in terms of being able to take action. And so, you know, what, what did I just see this week? There's uh, a petition uh, to Jeff Bezos uh, that, you know, he needs to do more, uh, Many, many thousands of signatures, I think they were Amazon employees that, that have asked him to actually take greater action on climate change and to actually use the power. I mean, we talked about Walmart and Walmart getting its supply chain to do things that perhaps they wouldn't have done. You know, that's where Amazon is now. I mean, they are a huge company with an enormous supply chain, enormous footprint. And, you know, you know, it's time, it's time for them to, to take some action and do something you know, really positive in this space. And I think, you know, people are recognizing that. And so back to your, your question, it's, it's younger people who are going to feel that urgency, uh, you know, um, uh, not to get political, but, you know, uh, Pete uh, Buttigieg is running for, for president, I, I suppose. I think he's going to announce today. Um, but, you know, in his statements, people have said, you know, gosh, he'd be the youngest president ever. What's that all about? And he's like, well, hang on a second. 
I've got a pretty big stake in what this, this world looks like in 2040, right. you know? So, and I think that's a fair point, you know, it's uh, certainly um, a good way to differentiate himself versus some of the candidates who are, you know, maybe in their sixties or seventies. So um, anyway, long answer as usual, but you know, I, I think you guys are the future and you guys have a much bigger stake in that future than, than, than older people. And, and it's up to you to, to really take action and push for change because that's where it's going to come from. Amazing. Emily, any reflections on that as we wrap up? So many thoughts and I feel like the conversation could just keep going. Um, no, I love the Amazon example. And I, and I love thinking of employees kind of holding the CEO accountable and the power of the people. Um, and so that's mm-hmm. just a great example of, of that. And I hope that more and more, you know, individuals, employees can mobilize to, you know, make those changes and that that kind of continues. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, thank you so much for your time. And I don't know, this was fantastic. I yeah, feel like I could just, you know, we could continue for another hour, but. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I guess, Chris, like where could we and where could anyone who is um, listening or watching learn more about you or follow along on your journey on online? Well, let's see. Thanks, Matt. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn. So mm-hmm. if people want to people want to connect there. That's great. Um, you know, I can be messaged uh, there pretty easily. Uh, I'm also on Twitter. I have to say I don't tweet as much as I should, um, but I'm at Chris Libri, one word. Uh, and so you can see some of my my ramblings of the past there and, and maybe some in the future as things as things continue to develop. But uh, listen, I, I want to thank you and Emily, Matt, for, you know, what's been a, a really uh enjoyable and, and fast conversation. I mean, I can't believe we've been talking um, this <laughs> long. So, so it's been great. And, and I know we could go on longer, but, uh, but uh, this has been a terrific, a terrific way to, to kind of uh, talk about uh, our work and how we can continue to keep the momentum going. Yeah. Awesome. And since it's right around the corner, I will say happy Earth Day to both of you. And actually I, just decided on the fly. So I typically end these interviews by telling people to keep impacting. And that's like how my final word and like catchphrase, if I'm allowed to have a catchphrase, but (laughs) I figure, uh, Emily, if you want to like, uh, have any words to wrap us up all, I mean, I think we should give you the final, final words. I think I'm just feeling so inspired by this, you know, future generation, next generation to kind of be the leaders and, um, and see change happen. And so, um, I don't know if I have like a concise catchphrase though, man, um, get out and do it, (laughs) have an impact, you know, don't sit around and wait for somebody else to do it, get up and take action. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Get in there, roll up your sleeves, and intervene. Yeah. Let's do this. And, And keep impacting. Exactly. 